On November 10th, Brie Larson and Samuel L. Jackson reunite on the big screen as Captain Marvel and Nick Fury to assemble the MCU's next team, the Marvels. After Captain Marvel gets her powers entangled with teenage superhero Miss Marvel and Captain Monica Rambeau, the three heroes will learn teaming up changes everything. Don't miss Captain Marvel's return November 10th in the Marvels, only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Get your tickets now. Don't miss The Marvels in theaters on November 10th and see where the Marvel stories all began when you watch Captain Marvel, WandaVision, and Miss Marvel only on Disney+. Plus. Plans starting at $7.99. You are now listening to FemRegard Podcast with Tessa Markle and Carolina Alvarez. Hey listeners, want to start your own podcast? Let us tell you our favorite tool. Anchor is the one-stop shop for all your podcasting needs. Here's why. Anchor lets you record and edit your show right from your phone or computer. So no matter your setup, you can start creating right now. Then it distributes your show to the most popular listening platforms like Apple and Spotify. Plus, it's the only place you can send video content to Spotify. Creators can even earn money on Anchor with ads and subscriptions. Best of all, it's all free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, fam fam. Welcome back. Hi, guys. I'm doing the intro today. I'm doing the intro today. Okay, I'm going to try and not mess it up because Tessa just always sounds way better. (laughs) (laughs) But we really connected with our guest today. She reached out to us and we just love when people are just with the same mindset and energy when it comes to filmmaking, Mm -hmm. supporting women, um, the horror film space, which we love. So she is... Miss Jess Costa. She is a writer and director and has done a bunch of amazing shorts. You'll get to hear about her background on the show and definitely check her website out because um, when I was stalking her, I was blown away by her sets and what she accomplished. So we talk about an episode, but you can visually see them on her website. And she is working on an upcoming indie horror feature film called Sleep Talking. And we get into that where she is in the process, which we love when directors are just open with where they're at. And we just get into why she created the film. And my personal favorite topic is the psychology behind screenwriting and directing and the different layers there are. We as humans have this like complex notion about us and I just love getting into that so speaking um, of psychology and dreams and sleep talking (laughs) do you sleep talk because I talk in my sleep I make noises in my sleep oh yeah sometimes I'll be like in a like a nightmare situation and if I like am yelling in it I will literally wake myself up like I'll be like (laughs) (laughs) so anybody that's ever sleeping with me I'm sorry (laughs) oh my god you would scare me I'd be like oh my god (laughs) no I only do in really terrifying like dreams like I've only I think (laughs) 
<laughs> got cursed the first time at a hooter at a hooters at a hooters <laughs> is it hooters at a hooters hotel in vegas that is a story i woke up <laughs> screaming bloody mur- murder scared my brother half to death <laughs> like because i've never i've never but i was like in sleep paralysis mode mm-hmm. and like literally felt like a spirit attacking me but you know i go on that's literally like the only <laughs> But yeah, we we get into like dreams, like her stories, and guys, you're just gonna love this one. We love this girl. Follow her, stalk her. I mean, don't like actually stalk her, but just online stalking, <laughs> just like you know, just like her film and stuff. She's she's really awesome. Become so, a fan. Become a fan. <laughs> awesome. Enjoy. We're so um, happy to have you on. Thank you for reaching out to us. We love that. And yeah. we love everything that you're doing. And I I literally have like my psychological like notes when I screen write. Um, I know like... Fit, like fam you can't see but I have like a brain diagram with like <laughs> different like parts of the brain That's and incredible. this really helped me in like understanding my care like the character I was writing about for my psychological horror film mm-hmm. so I'm excited to like get into that but before we do we definitely want to hear about you your journey your projects and like everything just everything so <laughs> all of the above <laughs> All of these. She was well, born Jess. on a Wednesday. <laughs> I actually was. Oh, me too. <laughs> uh, November first, nineteen ninety-five. Yeah. Oh uh, my God, Scorpio! Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Yes, I'm the ninth. Oh, hello. <laughs> I know. It's it's just all aligning. It's meant to be. Yeah, I was just meant to be here right now. <laughs> You are, um, we've definitely checked you out. You've done a couple shorts and I know other projects in the whole horror psychological realm. What got you tied into the genre um, and made you so passionate to now do your, I believe this is your debut feature, which is Sleep Talking. Yes. Okay. Yeah, okay. Correct. I um. I've always loved horror and fantasy and magic. Um, some of my films that aren't specifically horror still have that magical element to them because mm. I love one. I love playing with a fantasy world and world building. Like for me, when oh I yeah, write, you can see that in your shorts, guys. You got to check it out. It looks really good. Yeah, yeah. I for me, when I start writing, I start with my world building actually. I, cause for me, like I also come from a set design background. So mm. that's really how I like to dig in. I'm like, oh, well, where are we? What's going on? Like uh, 99 cent dreams, one of my shorts. I was like, ooh, what if you could rent dreams for 99 cents? What would this store look like? Who yeah. would go there? Why would they want to rent dreams? And I let the world that we <laughs> enter in kind of answer the questions for me to dive into my writing. But I, I just love playing make-believe. Like, I think that's as a core of when we were younger. That's what we always wanted to do. And I just never wanted to get rid of that. 
Yeah, I love that. I, I mean, that's why yeah. I went into acting because I'm an actress first and a filmmaker second. But yeah. same thing. It's like I I was an only I am an only child. So I grew up, you know, like just creating all of my own worlds and fantasies and all of that. And, you know, of course, yes, I had friends that I played with. I was not, yeah. you know, I wasn't just always playing by myself, you guys. But, you know, you had to have <laughs> just imagination. <laughs> Sometimes out in the I field, did. sometimes in Pennsylvania. I was, yeah, I was out out in the field <laughs> talking to myself, you know. But. Girl, I did too. <laughs> I did too. I put on like I threw onion grass at the neighbors because I was like, they're haunted. Like I'm <laughs> cast a spell. <laughs> My family was always like, yeah, we just just was like hang out in the basement for hours. We're not sure, sure what she was doing, but she was in her own world. It's yep. fine. <laughs> we'll just leave her down there. Yeah. <laughs> Listeners, I'm sure some of you can relate. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think, honestly, I know, you know, there are there are rules and world building is kind of step one. I think that's a really smart tool that you need to think about in the process of creating your story, like, like literally one of the first things, because that's going to indicate um, not only your budget, if you put your producer hat on, but <laughs> like, yeah, how how the environment is impacting your character's psychology and on an emotional level, too. So and physically as well. So there's just like all those juicy layers that you can play with then. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's for me, I, I've retired my producing hat because my, my heart <laughs> It hurts. I'm very lucky. I have a wonderful producing partner who has just taken that over and is just so excited to bring that mm-hmm. element to filmmaking. But um, for me, I actually, when I write, I make sure to put my producing hat aside, get it all out, see what I dream up. And then the producing hat can come in a bit later being like, okay, Jess, you just wrote a 1929 seance scene and Danielle your producer just said it's gonna cost thirty thousand dollars so how can we tell that in a better way yeah I love that that's a really good process to have too I think you don't want it to limit your creativity like off the bat and that's something I have to like go back and forth and then I just like give myself that freedom and then like that's Tessa for me too she'll she'll just be like and I'll be like, girl, I already thought about it. I already thought of the solution. Here it is. Tell me what you think. That's the most like rewarding moment too, where you're like, well, I, I thought of like the way to actually like bring this weird, quirky world to life without yeah. spending thousands. Yeah. Like I, I love that y'all did that with um your short that you have horses. And, <laughs> and like the first one, someone's like, Oh yeah, I'm gonna write horses into my film. He's like, No, 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 don't do that. And you're like, We'll find a way. It's yeah. fine. We've got yeah. this. It's the heart of our story and you know it was an expensive journey and learning lesson but I'm so glad that Tess and I didn't get so producery about it Mm -hmm. because we wouldn't have made it (laughs) we really wouldn't even try and at the same time you know we we have the feature script written for it as well but that would obviously be extremely expensive so we haven't set out to make that yet but you know we did have that in mind of like you know we we have to have horses it's a western but like the least amount of horses that we can have in the full film right so we literally wrote scenes where like the characters lose their horses lose you know like create a solution right there 
and it just it raises the stakes either way you're like you can't make it too easy for them get rid of the horse yeah <laughs> and if, guys, if you saw my character goddamn goldilocks she would lose her horse <laughs> one thousand percent would lose her horse oh, definitely. <laughs> use her little pan to use like as a witch's broom and fly off yeah <laughs> i i have a question because of the the beetle if i'm remembering correctly you have like a really cool looking old like house that you shot one of your your shorts with and um again that's not something when you're writing and then trying to produce is that something you already knew you had access to these are questions yeah like I know filmmakers are trying like trying to assess like when they're they're getting into it so um yeah tell us about that yeah for me so that's um you're talking about once upon a November that is my senior thesis and uh when I was in college and I was like I should have known you were a Scorpio then (laughs) I was like I was like ooh, once upon a November yeah hello (laughs) hello (laughs) uh, I was I was just like I'm gonna have a Victorian mansion not sure how I'm gonna do it don't know where to find it but that's the dream here we go and so I was seeking out to do like costumes everything on a budget and I, I was actually working for an internship um, with this amazing company called Public Record. They did um, We the Animals was their big short or feature film that they did. And they were like, oh, well, you can go to the mayor's office in each county and town and see what they have on there. And if it's a short or if it's like a student film, they will either give it to you for cheap or for free because they want to support independent artists. They won't charge you the like $10,000 a day. I'm sorry, what town are you from? I'm in (laughs) Westchester in New York. Okay, okay. Just want to clarify. That's amazing. Thank you, New York. You're a glorious state. I have a feeling it's more than just New York too, to be honest, because a lot of places, you know, that don't have already a big market want to support independent film. So just throwing that out there if you listeners are anywhere around the country. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just out of curiosity. That's amazing. Okay, so you you went in. Yeah, Mm -hmm. we went in and you find creative solutions. So like hypothetically, if I didn't have both the inside and the outside of the mansion accessible to me you go to like your parks department and be like okay can I film outside this place and then you find rooms that you can cheat to look like a ballroom or to look like um like an old 1800s bedroom Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. honestly even the ballroom we filmed in we shot in such a small section of it we didn't use the whole thing yeah so you're like okay I could have used something a lot smaller and made it feel really full a lot of times you can really cheat a lot with that, you know, mm-hmm. filming an exterior and then doing an interior somewhere else. Like, and it, most of the time, nobody's going to notice that it's not, it doesn't match. It doesn't, you know, like I think of um, American Horror Story, the first season, mm-hmm. The Murder House. Um, so it's out here in LA, the actual murder house, and you can go visit it. You can't go inside, but you can see it from the outside. And fans have literally Tessa's gone inside. Fans, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, um, I live there now. I'm their cat. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, fans have literally like torn it apart and dissected it and figured out that the interiors they used and like moving around the house so like the layout of the interior Mm. could not possibly match the actual interior which is never gonna happen with your film you guys don't worry but I just think that's hilarious that people actually took the time 
to do that because 99.9% of the time you can easily cheat from a different location. Yeah, like even in, um, so for my feature, we're filming it this summer. And of course there's another Victorian house because I have a theme going on. Uh, and <laughs> Love it. The, Loves it. The bedrooms that we're using don't match up to the main hallway. So we just make sure to orient ourselves. We're like, okay, if you're going to walk out the room, there's a window to the left. Let's just make sure we either A, um, like actually there's a part where they walk out the room. It's a window, but in the main hallway, it's actually supposed to be a door. Hmm. So we're like, oh, so then we'll just get like a prop door and put it against there. So it covers the window and people just oh, are like, shit. oh, you don't realize. Yeah. I love that. Cause that's something I'm struggling with we haven't nailed down our location yet for the apartment we are mainly going to be at and we there is a long hallway that's like right in the script where there's like the doors to the bedroom and I'm like shit like if we can't get like I really want us to have like two bedrooms because the girls each have their own but god forbid we just can't find that like what's the solution and I love that you said that because maybe there's still a way we can cheat using the one bedroom because one of the characters is barely like featured in hers to kind of have the appearance of multiple doors in the hallway and then use the one bedroom as a as the filming area and just move furniture around and and yeah. you know all yeah. that yeah and I would so, even like not show one half of like one of the walls so like keep it so that like if there's something really unique on the right hand side I'm like don't show that in girl like I was gonna say girlfriend in one of the girl A's room because then you can yeah. be like oh she actually hangs out by this window and has this bench and like that's her long moody shot mm -hmm. and I love that and that's you can also do like DIY wall, DIY wallpaper which I love yeah I mean, it's all movie magic, you know, when people talk yeah. about the things that you can pull off in movies to totally make it look like something else, you know, it's, it's, which I think it's like, it is, it's magic. Like it still blows my mind, even literally like not crossing the 180 line, which is such a simple concept. When I, as an actor, am like, wait a minute, I think we're crossing the line, but I don't want to say anything because wait, I have to think about where, okay. Uh, like it's, it's such a, it's to wrap my brain around it is so difficult for me because I just don't have that mindset I'm not you know a, a camera person I'm not even really a director so it just still blows my mind when people can think to do those things and pull them off and make it look like something totally different and amazing <laughs> well that's I think the beauty of a team and like why I love film so much. I know I can't and don't want to do it by myself. And mm -hmm. there's certain things that my brain just really can't wrap around in that way as well. Yeah. And I get to go to my DP and be like, hey, is this even achievable? Can we make that shot and like do this weird turn? Because I want it to, I want to see her close up in that moment, but we're also like 10 feet away and I don't want to see like speed rails. Mm -hmm. What do you think? And they're like, yeah, let's figure it out. Oh, I got that. That's easy. And I'm like, yeah. God, I love a good DP. Seriously. <laughs> they are saviors. Yeah. I love them. <laughs> I work with um, this DP named Brianna Mann. She shot um, 99 Cent Dreams and she's working on me with me on sleep talking. And she just makes the process so fun. Like we come up with the shot list separately and then meet together 
And then we're like, ooh, like with 99 Cent Dreams, there's this big gumball machine that we shoot through because I want it to feel like you're trapped in the, the bubble of the world. Love that. And um, we were on set and it was the first day and we didn't get the opening shot outside the store. And all of a sudden I was like, shoot, I don't know what we're going to do. We went to sleep the next day and it was only a short, so it was three days. And yeah. she just turned around and she's like, wait what if we end the film the way we started? Let's go back through the gumball machine. And we're like cheering about a gumball machine shot for the rest of our lives. <laughs> that is dope though. That is what sticks. And it's cause of like those little, I don't even call them mishaps, but shit happens and you just make mm-hmm. something beautiful like out of it. And the right people will do that. Yeah. So that's when, like those are the people I want on my team, not making more problems out of problems. Like... <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> we need to talk about solutions, honey. Just talk to me about solutions. I don't want to hear the problem. <laughs> and, it's, and I'm, for me, I think it's important to be like, okay, this is the intention. Like, I know I wanted this shot or I know I want it to look this way, but like, let's then zero back in and see if that inspires something for them as well to find the solution. Because at first you're disappointed. You had like a shot in mind or a thing yeah. in mind, but I think, as you said, like, that's the magic of filmmaking. It's, it can always be changed and go get back to the heart of it. And like, you'll still tell Mm -hmm. the same story, even if it's not what you planned. Absolutely. Right. And we've talked a few times to a few different filmmakers about, you know, like, when something happens or doesn't happen unexpectedly on set, like those accidents are sometimes end up being like a savior of the film, like a super unique moment that you you know weren't planning didn't expect and I I mean that happens also on like professional sets too like listeners if you don't already know I'm a huge David Lynch fan and he talks about that in his films like that's his favorite moment when something like that happens just like a happy little accident you know Mm -hmm. yeah and that's also like working with like for me as a director I I'm not an actor by any means. And so I get to work with incredible actors who show up and have so much life and heart and one just like bear their souls. And I'm like, thank you for doing that. I'll be back here. Uh, <laughs> and they, they make a choice and I'm like, I love that. I would have never thought about that. Let's like dig in. What made you think that? What made you, what like pulled you out of the character and inspired that for yeah. you? Because let's explore that. Whatever that was, I love that. And that's a great gift as a director. Yeah, I was just going to say, as an actor, I appreciate directors like that. I... And every actor is different. Every director is different. But personally, I love being directed. Like my most ideal scenario is when a director is like, okay, let's do one take. Just give me what you got. Give me what you thought of. And then the next take, totally be like, all right, so loved that. But like, what about if we do this? And what if we throw in this and like throw it all at me? Like I'm ready to change it all around. I love that, you know? So it's, I really appreciate when directors take the time to actually direct actors and not just, oh, well, actually I want you to enter from there. All right, let's roll mm-hmm. again. Like, you know, it's, it, yeah. it's so much fun to have that collaboration and that playfulness. Totally. And also one thing I do, I hate that some directors do is they won't tell you what you did well and what they loved mm. what you did. And Because I, I do understand the mindset people say, like, don't tell your actors what they did well, because then they'll get so focused on it and then they'll mess it up. And I'm like, so you don't trust the people you're working with then. <laughs> right. I want to trust Facts. my actors and know that 
they can a tell me what they need like I I like to use meditation a lot when it comes to like coming in and out of really hectic scenes and I also want to make sure my actors know that like yes I'm the director but you need a consent to every moment in every scene if something doesn't feel good in your body I don't want to do it that is so important. Yeah. We're about to have Judith Weston on our show, and she wrote Directing Actors, that yeah. book. I don't know if you've read it, but literally everything you're saying <laughs> is exactly what she says. Like, compliment your actors. Yeah. Ask for consent. Create that safe space. And <laughs> you're, she, you're, like, all lit up. I'm so I'm fangirling secondhand oh from God. both of you. <laughs> yes, that's literally later today. We are so excited. I'll just um, stay on. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be like, um, so we have Jess in the We have a fan. Yes. <laughs> and but I I you are definitely like right on it. And I think that's something that do- doesn't get like brought to the forefront um for directors. It, or like we don't talk about it enough is like those moments of making sure that it's a safe space or like, yeah, just you should what give me a compliment I need that like because sometimes we don't know too like it is nice it's a nice check-in like okay I'm on the right path like cool 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 like because in my head I'm overthinking it like I'm an overthinker so even if you don't tell me and I know I see we're moving I still am like well is this shit like do you like what I'm doing I'm assuming you are because we keep moving really fast (laughs) you know a hundred percent and it's yeah you want to be able to have that connection because then if you're in your head the whole time you're second guessing everything you're doing that's not going to do anybody a service it's not going to do you as a human us as storytellers for the film you'll just look like nervous and in your head and I know some mm-hmm. people do that because like well that's the point in the moment it's like again you hired great actors yeah that's that's what they do. They act it out. You don't need to actually put someone through emotional turmoil to oh get God. that performance. Like Kubrick. Yeah. Like right. Ugh. Yeah, we've no. seen it happen in the past, and uh, we see how traumatized it makes people. So don't recommend it. <laughs> I want no. us to create the future we want to see in our industry, and that takes us doing small steps to create those environments and bring mm-hmm. everyone together in such a beautiful, safe, open way to create these like beautiful, all the beautiful, uh, (laughs) beautiful, fun things. That's what filmmaking is. It's fun. It's playful. And even if your story is really heavy, I think you need to do it 10 times more playful than on set. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. It's that juxtaposition that we see so frequently in our lives anyways, when we're in pain, we're usually masking, you know, all those different that those contradictions exist because that's just like we're not gonna if we're sad we're not like gonna necessarily try to show the world that oh we're hurting on the inside we're usually gonna mask it you know things like that so I think that's always interesting as a director and I'm still like learning and on my journey of it because I don't have I'm an actor first but that's where I'm like okay like how do we bring that without like over directing you know our actor and being from the writing mind which we'll we'll dive into it's like okay like I understand like the psychology now now where do I just kind of step back and like give my actor the Tessa <laughs> the ability to like not over explain it too like I want to know what she like innately feels 
but she has to hear me <laughs> go on these wild tangents for the moment. Um, you know, that's where I'm just like, how do we, how do we like break now that I, I know psychologically what's happening? Where do we also then step back? Do you talk to me about that? You know? Yeah. Like as a director, I think it's great to know like very granular what you want, what the psychology is in the background. And because if you don't know, you can't make the creative choices to influence the shot, the performance, everything Mm -hmm. around them to include that. And I'm a big supporter of asking my actor, like, what do you need support in this moment? Like, I think it's always just listening and kind of cycling back because like directing for me is a lot of, it's a lot of prep for creative because I love all my notes, but at the end of the day, it's intuition you got to trust mm. your gut. you got to trust the people in front of you. And you'll know when you ask someone like, hey, what do you think for this? And they say a choice. And you're like, honestly, I don't think that's a line. But I really appreciate that offer because it can also direct us in another way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as a director, I think more and more, because sometimes you don't have time to prep as much as you want or really, like you'll have all the psychology down on the page and you're trying to translate that to an actor. And you saw something in their performance earlier on when you uh, auditioned them and you knew that they had it. So right. connect that way and be like, yeah, what do you think about this? I, I want this word intention, but I'm open to see what your spin on it. Like, let's dig deeper here. Yeah. And that's why I think auditioning is so important too, because, you know, a lot of us in the indie space is like, we're just casting our friends, you know, Mm -hmm. and you might know that your friend, well, first of all, (laughs) something I I always like, I'm like, Carolina, let's remind ourselves and to anybody, like we're out here in LA, we have a ton of actor friends, right? And just because your friend is working and stuff, if you've never seen them act, do not hire them until you have seen them act. But even then, you know, once you know they're a good actor, maybe you're in class with them and you've seen them done, do a bunch of things, still have them audition for the part that you um, have them in mind for because they could be an excellent actor and not suited for that part. And maybe they have the look for it and that's why you thought of them for it, but like they just can't mm-hmm. pull off that, you know. So I do, I do think auditioning, even if you want to frame it like you're already cast, but we don't know how to cast you, like whatever works for, you know, your situation, just make sure the person is suited because sometimes people are so perfect for a part, like you barely have to direct them. And that's the ideal, you know? So you just don't want to get somebody that's the complete opposite and then you're screwed. (laughs) Yeah. And it's also like, I know when I first started out and I was asking friends like, Hey, do you mind auditioning? I felt guilty and I felt bad that it's like, Oh, I don't want to waste their time. And I also like, what if I don't cast them? What does that mean? And, but then you didn't have that conversation at first. So you go in with it being like, I want to audition you because one, this is one of my favorite spaces. I love being able to play and go in any direction in an audition. And also I want to see what you can bring to the table. And even if you're not right for this part, even if we don't work together right now, this opened up the space that I got to see you in a whole different light as an actor. Yeah. That then my next film or another part, I'm like, wait, you would be amazing for this. And so it's just growing our relationship more as creatives rather than this project and now. Yeah, I think that's a great approach. Yeah, and like kind of to see how you guys even work together like can they take your direction or or not to kind of test 
that out because too with like a friend like maybe you it's like all right now we have to put ourselves it's almost like you know in relationships when if you work together like you know and you go someone's the boss all of a sudden it can be a weird dynamic Mm -hmm. so I feel like that's also really important to see like how do you guys work together and yeah yeah, can they see you as now like director I'm not I gotta listen I gotta really listen now and see Yeah. yeah yeah Tessa I'm seriously digging Jambox. The fam needs to hear about their extensive music and sound effect library. I agree. Not only do they have a huge library created by Hollywood-level composers, but you can search through it all based on criteria like genre and mood. Plus, they even have detailed stems you can use to create your own soundtracks from the elements they provide. You can literally be your own composer. 6,000 unique tracks, and tens of thousands of stems, plus over 10,000 sound effects. Carolina, that's amazing. Oh, it gets better. They even gave us a discount code for our listeners. 10% off with FEM10. Connecting filmmakers with ridiculously good music and sound effects. Go and visit jambox.io and start leveling up your sound production. Exactly. Again, that's code FEM, F-E-M-M-E, 10 at jambox.io. This season, FemRegard Podcast is sponsored in part by Celtix, the all-in-one solution for script writing and video production planning. And fam, we've been using them for all our projects. Celtics has been providing valuable script writing and pre-production tools for creators for 20 years, and their cloud-based studio just keeps getting better and better. One recent addition we love is the multi-column AV script editor. This script format combines traditional script writing with storyboarding and shot planning for a visual-driven script writing experience. With this unique script template, you can script write, storyboard, and create shot lists in the same document, easily prepare professional, presentation-ready documents for your team and clients, and work collaboratively. With real-time collaborative script editing, secure sharing links, revision tracking, and comments features. And Celtics's multi-column AV script editor is completely connected to all tools in the Celtics studio for faster and easier to manage pre-production workflow. Head to Celtics.com, that's C-E-L-T-X.com, to create your free two-project Celtics account and to learn more about Celtics's multi-column AV script editor. When you sign up, you'll get unlimited access to Celtics's full suite of tools for your first seven days. Celtics, the all-in-one solution for script writing and video production planning. And it's setting the tone. It's it's like, hey, just the way I run my set and I want to check in if this is aligned with you. Mm-hmm. Um, it is very important to me that people show up on time, that they show up with their full energy. And if that's not possible, if you're not able to do that, that's yeah. okay. I'm not judging the way that you have your process and how you are as an actor or performer, but this is what I need as a director. Like, mm-hmm. these are my boundaries. How does that I work for you in a working that. scenario? Punctuality is in and showing up is very key for Tessa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we like always take notes because <laughs> it's, yeah, we, we just, we don't work that way. Yeah. Um, well, with people who just aren't like, I just, you know, I, I get yeah, it. If something it. is, 
in your way, if there is a big accident, I mean, in LA, there's always traffic, so it's not really an excuse. But if there's like a big accident or something that makes you late or something really happened in your morning, I get it. That is forgivable. But if you are someone that is constantly even like Mm -hmm. 15 minutes late, I'm going to judge you for it on a professional level. Like (laughs) I have a lot of friends that can never be on time, but that's, you know, we're hanging out, whatever. If you are there to work, you better be on time or I'm not going to want to work with you. Like that's just, I can't do that. It, it makes me super anxious and I don't want to fucking deal with it. So (laughs) I shouldn't be getting calls at five 30 in the morning for my ADs that the director is not waking up and coming downstairs (laughs) for their pickup time. Yeah. So, um, which if you guys listened to our last episode of the season, you'll know who that is. <laughs> um, but it's just things like that where I'm just like, or they're constantly forgetting the most important papers to like bring and stuff. It's just like a nightmare. It's a big no-no. Yeah, no, um, I know film is like, there's a hierarchy and all of that. But at the end of the day, none of that matters. Right. Like you need to respect every single person on set. And Amen. if you're like, if I showed up late, I would feel like, and just because I was like, Oh, I don't need to be there. I'm like, what am I setting as an example, as a leader? Like, what does that tell my team that I don't care about the thing that we're spending so much time, energy, money, and just creative ability on. Right. And what are you doing? <laughs> that is, that is so such like a good way of putting it it's it's like especially because it's your thing you have to care the most you have to show face for it the most too and that would that energy will carry that and and yes we've said in so many times the show I totally don't believe in a hierarchy every role is so important so that's why like it is a reasonable expectation that every single person not just the actors like crew everyone show up have that good energy um because we all it takes literally everyone to do this kind of work and like it will be a magnet for the right people who are aligned with that and Mm -hmm. that people who have that energy as well because if I show up like half-assing it and not fully energized then I'm gonna get a team who's also like oh it's just a gig Mm -hmm. it's fine rather than which is an easy switch to make in their their minds like I think we all can just be like okay (laughs) I'll be done with this in a month cool yeah (laughs) exactly amazing so with psychology and screenwriting like just to get into it just a little bit um I can speak I guess first on why I thought it was so important for me to study the brain with my characters (laughs) and I just think there were so many, and I just learned so much because in our script, we have someone who's classified, quote unquote, as a narcissist, as more of a sociopath, but like, then I had to learn what's a psychopath and a sociopath. And then in my findings, clinically, there's no such thing as a psychopath. And it's more of an anti-social disorder kind of um, in, you know, the realms of psychology that is what it's more classified as like depressed antisocial it can Mm -hmm. like be all these things and I and because I have a therapist I'm like okay I have to learn like clinically what is the mindset and and then really um go in micro with what the different characteristics is Mm -hmm. and what I learned honestly is there isn't a hard line with all of this but helped me understand what is it a genetic thing in like 
you know, you guys don't have to get so into it. But for me, it was fun to be like, all right, what parts of the brain are working for her? What maybe what are the blocks? And it helped me write, um, just write her her voice better, or her art, her story arc better, I guess. Yeah, it, it, I love that it gave you a sense of structure because I think to have that creative freedom, it is nice to have those bounds and then you can also make the choice of like, okay, since it actually isn't as defined as I thought it was, where can I take this? It makes it even Mm -hmm. more exciting. Um, I love going at it as a psychological approach. And I love that that was one of the first things you did that you're like mapping where in the brain it showed up and Uh really getting into that because the research is what I'm writing is one of my favorite things to do. Same same especially and I just feel like it doesn't have to even be like about a psychopath necessarily that I would want to go into the psychology always like I feel like I do want to understand what because it it like indicates what makes us tick or maybe we're we're more advanced in the the skills and why and yeah yeah I I honestly said thought I've always said that once I got more into the psychology even of myself, like when I started going to therapy and I really started digging into like, why do I do the things that I do? I show, It showed up immediately in my writing. I saw that like my characters became more honest and they became more, they knew who they were more as I got to know myself more. And wow. like, I'm, I'm a big Brene Brown junkie as well. Oh, I love so, her. <laughs> yeah, the queen of vulnerability yeah. is, has so much heart. And you're like, oh, right. That's why I love order. That's why I needed a sense of control. And for me, I, my main character, Maya, who is 15, her whole journey is realizing that she can't control, fix, save everything without losing herself. And so it's like, well, what would make a 15-year-old do that? Feel like they need to control everything. Is it because their parents aren't really present, which is what happens to Maya in the film? So it's like, okay, so she's now the adult here. Mm-hmm. And, mm. and for me, like I even looked at people in my life, like my sister was always very protective. I'm the youngest, my sister's the oldest. And <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. I can see why she does that. And what little um, mannerisms come from that? Is it because like my sister's a little bit more OCD than I am and I'm a little messier because I'm younger sibling, why not? <laughs> and so you get to see those little tidbits come up in your scripts and then you go into the psychology and you're like wait okay so this actually means parentification so what does that mean for Maya is Mm -hmm. to the point like how far does she go like does she go to the point where she makes dinner every night or does she try to get a side job or is it because for me this is a horror movie I did it more as if I solve the mystery that my mom is trying to solve we can go home and we can all be a family again So how does that come into play as Maya tries to like, not just be Nancy Drew and solve the mystery, but there's more emotionally at stake. Yeah. Right. That is huge. That is like what, you know, uh, propels, like it gives, gives purpose. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we're always trying to figure out. What is the purpose? And I think that's so helpful to remind yourself, even like when you're directing or in the writing, like, what is the overall purpose? Because people don't do shitty things just to do shitty things, right. you know? 
Like, there's a reason. What What are they overcompensating for? I mean, you can see that in examples in your life. It's like, okay, yeah, she's being, you know, Mother Goose. Why is she being so, like, uptight or, like, you know, so forceful about something? Maybe she's protecting because overall she's scared. Like, who, yeah. you know? Yeah. You can really layer that. And having a fully fleshed out character psychologically allows the audience to relate better too because again it's not just somebody like doing something for the sake of doing it you see their motivation or you know what caused them to act that way or whatever and that because we're all floating around on this planet (laughs) chock full of so many problems and issues like you know I mean it's like we all have trauma from such a young age no matter how perfect Mm -hmm. our childhoods were no matter how amazing our parents are literally birth is a trauma you know so (laughs) seriously it affects us psychologically so parties you you know we can all relate to different things we all lead different lives we all have this collective psychology as well so when a character really feels real is when they've Mm. got all of that psychological stuff flushed out so yeah it's very important Definitely. And for me, like diving into that in the writing process helped me so much later. It helped me find um, our main character. Funny enough, the character's name is Maya and it's played by an actor named Mia. Oh, wow. Who is, yeah. <laughs> oh, <she>, Maya, Mia. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> she's such a love. And I was able to see all of those little like smaller anxious moments and if I didn't dig into my psychology of like if you're gonna be the parent at 15 you've probably been this way for a while what are the little ticks that would come out then then you start to look for it later as well that come up a little bit more naturally right that's that is so that is also really fun and I wrote that in like again we, I, I want to see how like Tessa will interpret some of these ticks, mm. but I did like figure out what are some of the ticks that we even, um, you know, do on our face when we get really triggered, or yeah. you know, what is what is circling up, and I, I kind of use it to also elevate the horror aspect too of like mm. what gets scary, but. I've seen it too. Like people like have these little weird like ticks when, and certain things happen and it's just a side effect of what emotionally they're going through and in the moment and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's small ways to almost Easter egg their backstory as well. Even if your film doesn't tell you about it. I love that. I love when I see an actor play that part and you're like, why, why are they doing this? Mm. Like, it's just like, it's subtle, but it's mm. there. You're like, why, why does that happen? And it makes me as the viewer really like play Nancy Drew and try to piece together their backstory because you're, you won't see it right away at least. Yeah. Yeah. Like it reminds me of, um, I don't know if y'all have watched Ted Lasso. But... Oh yeah. It's on my list. <laughs> yeah. I love it. <gasps> Tessa, listen, I'm living too busy a world to watch without watch joy. TV, okay? yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't. I only watch when I eat, girl. That's when I do. <laughs> you too, eat. Actually. That's when you watch. I know. I've been working through a long list, but anyway. <laughs> well, to not to spoil anything, but with like Ted Lasso, I do love. There are little quirks that mm-hmm. they don't actually dive into until like late season one, season two, and yeah. I love the little things that aren't even explained sometimes that then once you understand at the end of the film what they went through you can re-watch it and you pick up on it more and you're like oh 
I get you now more. I understand. And that makes you see more of yourself in them. Like you understand why you saw more of yourself. And then you're like, I connect uh-huh. with them, but I'm not really sure. And it can't be the weird tick thing, right? Like, <laughs> Right, right. That's really a great point. I think also getting some of that closure to at the end is nice. Mm. And then, but still that excitement to, okay, now when I rewatch this, which I like, I've seen movies like that where I'm like, okay, now instantly I want to rewatch it. Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is a good film because now I want to look for those moments and try to under piece it together more. And that's, what's really, I think to me, what makes a good film like successful, Mm -hmm. it's like wanting to rewatch and like digest more of it Mm -hmm. because it's so layered. Yeah. Yeah. No, I honestly, I say that all the time. That's my big goal in life. I don't need to have the best film. I have. A, I want to have a film that people want to rewatch and it becomes almost their comfort food. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. for me, even as like a horror movie, Scream is something I rewatch all the time. Because yeah. It's Are you going to watch the new one? I, oh, I am. I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm going to go dive in. I, I love Nev Campbell. She's great. And just yeah. carried yeah. it all the way through. <laughs> oh my God. No, I love Scream, but go on. Yes, yes, yes. Scream's so good. But yeah, it's just, I, I, like, I also have a movie list that goes on and on forever because I keep rewatching the films I love all the time. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I want to make comfort food for films. And it, is it like, because someone feels seen on camera? Is it because like I wrote, about something that was very cathartic for me and someone's finally like oh you know what thank you for showing like someone who processes grief 10 years later it's like some movies it's very immediate it's like let's talk about that Mm -hmm. what happens if you don't process it right away just because you're young you don't understand or because you're not ready and just having those little moments really just bring us together yeah absolutely I, I, gold, beautiful, (laughs) like that, that's why we love, um, I think movies and, and even some of the like horror, um, I've mentioned it before, maybe on the show, but like even horror, there's just like a cathartic reaction sometimes. And maybe it's just a way of, of getting, you know, an emotional reaction yourself from it it takes you out of it or it brings in something really real that Mm -hmm. you can like kind of work through yourself like a real you know fear that you have Uh, it's like all that it's really fun and I I even read like a psychological study I forget where it is I'll try to find it that talked about how people use horror movies as um oh shoot what is the word exposure therapy Mm. because well one it can be exposure therapy because they're like oh I can be like if I'm claustrophobic and it's a film that's like you're trapped in a cave that can help me Mm -hmm. or even just if you've experienced trauma and have PTSD in your life you can watch this film and know you're safe even though you've had like the bodily sensations of being scared you know at the end of the movie you're going to be home you're safe and everything's okay yeah. Unless you're like me and then I feel like there's spirits and then I can't sleep. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, that happens to me too. I, like, I first watched the Conjuring series 
And I watched Girl. all of them in one weekend. Yeah. Girl, me too. I rewatched it with my boo who I got into horror and I'm very proud of myself. I, I took, I first took him to Hereditary, which is my favorite horror oh, film. And then. One of mine as well. And then I led him on the Conjuring series because it's so good. It's just written yeah. so well. But we we were not sleeping. <laughs> well, we like not like goosebumps. So yeah. Like having Annabelle, it reminded me of um, <gasps> Night of the Living yes. Dummies, and I was just like, no, 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 yeah. no. <laughs> Annabelle freaks me out. Yeah. And that's yeah, actually I, uh, something else I want to talk about. You just reminded me. Um, so like saying you grew up with Goosebumps. I wasn't mm-hmm. as into Goosebumps. I was more into Are You Afraid of the Dark? But like oh. that generation of all, you know, all those like geared towards kids horror shows. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people of like, oh my God, remember that one episode? So scary. Remember this episode? So scary. And then now you rewatch it as an adult and you're like wow, like, I was afraid of that. But, you know, obviously it's made for kids. But I think that's another, like, kind of, um, like, shared trauma thing that we, hmm. as humans, can bond over, that it's like, you know, we all watched this movie or we all watched this show and how it affected us. And That's really a good point. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a fun conversation to have with people, too. Or even if it's the opposite, that, like, this scared the shit out of me. And the other person's like, <laughs> I thought that was super lame. Like, just yeah. in, in your, like, relate, relating to other people, I think horror is a really cool thing to to do that over, you know? Definitely, because it's easier to say, like, that freaked me out, that made me cry about a film, rather than being like, hey, I'm just going to expose my soul. This is what freaks me out in life and my family and everything. Like, no, we could bond over a movie and we both have that, like, visceral reaction from, Mm -hmm. like, the thing that comes into my head is in Goosebumps, there was um, a guy who was growing plants in his basement and then it took over him. And I'm just like, the plants are coming it's happening and then you watch it now and you're like and I'm a big plant mom and I'm like that's fine I'll become one of the plants it's okay (laughs) exactly um do either of you have listened to the podcast radio rental by chance okay oh my god oh my god listeners um not to pimp out another show that but you know the more the merrier um I freaking love it and it's fun to do too and like um like uh if you're going on a long car ride with someone um a road trip that's what they're called but it's like real life um stories and people Mm -hmm. are like in their own voice recounting like could be weird dreams just like ghost stories or like weird occurrences and um I am blanking on his name. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. But the the actor who plays Dwight Schrute, he kind of like... Rain Wilson. Rain Wilson? He like narrates, he plays this character as like this video rental store owner. And he's like, kind of like just haunting and menacing and just like really funny though. And like that corny way that he like does it up. It's, it's really cute. Um, but the stories, man, like I would get goosebumps, like Mm. just even listening to some of them. So just wanted to plug that in because it's really fun. (laughs) I'm obsessed (laughs) and I want to collapse somehow. It's amazing. (laughs) I'll just tell you a story. Maybe you, um, when you're done with your film, it can be a marketing thing. You can like tell the story as the character to yeah him. i like that 
Juicy. <laughs> okay. Okay, Jess, I see you. We love a good um, marketing spin yeah. with people we love. <laughs> Well, speaking of marketing, because um, I could go on about psychology and horror movies forever, oh but God, yes. I want to bring it back to your film, Sleep Talking. So yeah. where are you at in the production process with that? Totally. Uh, so we are filming this summer, July 5th to July 30th. Nice. Um, we were supposed to film last summer, but the Delta variant just, it wasn't feeling safe. So mm-hmm. we ended up postponing because we have you know, a 15 year old on set and an eight year old Mm -hmm. and a film's not worth getting kids COVID. So (laughs) yeah, totally. I know. I feel so grateful. I respect both of you. You're just so determined, hardworking, creative, and just, I love how much you share the process and how vulnerable you are with it because it is really scary to make a film and you feel alone a lot of the times and you two are like, no, we're not doing it. I'm sharing it with you. Let's do this together and we'll figure it out along the way, which is what we need more of. Yes. Thank you. Yes, Thank you, babe. Thank Don't you. make me cry at like 11 a.m. That's so beautiful. Thank Cry into you. your coffee, mix it in. <laughs> yeah. Just a little salt. <laughs> Just an emotional coffee. It's fine. Oh my it's emotional anyway. Exactly. Well, Jazz, thank you. And before we wrap up, I want to make sure that our listeners can follow you, check out your work. So anything you want to plug, please do. Pimp it out, girl. So um, our website for Sleep Talking is sleeptalking.film. I actually have a newsletter that I write monthly to talk about just the process, where we're at with filmmaking and all of that. I love a good newsletter. Nice. Um, oh my God. Yes. We'll have to plug that in the notes. That's awesome. Yeah. And then uh, my personal website is jesscosta.com. I was really stoked. I can actually get that URL. <laughs> and on social media, I am Jess Costa Films with an S. Awesome. All easy to remember, easy to spell. Oh Love that. Gosh, <laughs> right. I know I was really hooked up with branding for my own like birth name. So I feel very lucky. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening to FemRegard Podcast. If you like what you hear, tune in every Friday for more tips on the filmmaking business and insightful conversations with industry professionals. We can only grow with your support. So please subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can also join the Fem Fam on Patreon. For more on us, check us out at femregard.com. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.